We don't have it. Okay. We don't have it. It's a, we're in Psalm 23, and I really needed you to see that video. Uh, we were at a uh, farmer's place where there were a lot of sheep, and uh, his comments about the sheep were a great lead-in to this sermon on the great shepherd. Well, we are in Psalm 23, so let me add my welcome to our other pastor's welcomes. I'm glad that you are joining us, even though I can't really see you. I trust that you are there. So I guess we preach by faith every week. I've got to put this where I won't hit it because i got some water there for myself. And uh, we are so glad to have you with us and, and uh, as we look together in God's Word. Psalm 23 is such a familiar psalm, I'm afraid that we get very used to it, and then we begin to overlook what it's actually telling us. Uh, a lot of times people only hear this psalm at funerals. It's commonly used at funerals uh, very much, and for good reason. It talks about the valley of the shadow of death and, and our trust in God. But what you may not know about this psalm it is in the middle of a trilogy of psalms. Psalm 22 is about the suffering Messiah, how Jesus would suffer for our sin. Psalm 24 is about, after his resurrection, his exaltation back to taking back his authority as king and being the king of, of all creation. Psalm 23 is referring to Jesus at rest in that tomb. When he is in between, where he's in the tomb... And he is awaiting the Father to raise him from the dead. And so, not only is it a comfort to us, but when we realize it, is, it was written under inspiration of the Holy Spirit by David, a uh, shepherd, that it is about Jesus trusting in his Father to take care of all the things that he might need. Uh, I, I have to tell you, a lot of the things that I, I've learned about this psalm uh, through the years uh, was from a book called A Shepherd Takes a Closer Look at at Psalm 23. I think the man's uh, name, uh, his last name was Keller. Can't remember his first name now. Um, but uh, you can look that book up. It's a great book. It's, it's kind of older now, uh, but it, it gives you a lot of insight into this. But I'm calling today's sermon, Led Through the Valley. That means stop? Okay, we got a video, so you're going to get to see it. Let's play the video. Thanks. frustrating because they are fairly helpless but it, the more I get frustrated with them uh, the more I realize that us being cheap it's pretty humbling seem very smart. They don't learn from mistakes. They get themselves in trouble. And um, they're greedy. They, I don't know of any animal on the farm that's more 
aggressive to food. They, they'll they stand on one another if they have to. to if, the, if it's too tight a spot, they'll stand on each other to, hmm. to just eat. And, waiting for. I appreciate that we got that. I, I hope you heard what he said. We so often think of sheep as just this uh, cute thing, this wonderful thing. I so appreciated his words, and we didn't ask him to say that. He just, he started coming out with it. When he finished, I looked at uh, Brother Andy, who was doing the filming, and said, I think we just got our quote, because the reality is sheep are difficult. They're not very smart. They're helpless. They can't protect themselves. They really need a shepherd, and earlier you heard my brother Milton reading this psalm, so I won't read it again. This is a psalm that was uh, one of the scriptures that was on the wall at my home growing up. Uh, psalm 23, to remember the Lord is my shepherd. Now, the wording here is, I want you to catch this because uh, it, it's going to be very uh, important that you do. And what I want you to take with you today is that the shepherd is always a constant companion to his sheep. Now, that is of necessity. If you leave sheep to wander about on their own, they're going to die, and they're going to die sooner rather than later. They just cannot protect themselves. And some of that comes out in the psalm, even though you don't realize it. And so Jesus uses this image about us as being God's sheep and God being our shepherd. And in fact, in Hebrews 13, 20, the Bible refers to Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep. So I want you to understand he is our shepherd here. That's who we are looking at, and that we are those sheep uh, that, that need that care. Jesus made himself helpless and trusted himself to his father, not only that he might win salvation for us, but as an example to us, and how, to thorough, how thoroughly we can trust God. Because God is always with us. We, we said that a few weeks back, uh, as we were uh, going through some scriptures. The strongest promise in the Bible is God is always with us. And so I want to break this psalm down for you a little bit. And in the first three verses, we see that the shepherd provides for his own. Let's look at that. The very first phrase in this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, that'll fit on your hand. Last week we did an illustration about a hand and, and, and study and reading and meditating on the Bible. Today I'm going to use the hand again, the Lord is my shepherd. Five words, great words in the Bible, very comforting, but they can only be comforting to you if the fourth word is true. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, I can talk about the Lord. Uh, here in this verse, this is the very name of God, that Jehovah or Yahweh is our shepherd. And by the way, in case you don't know, shepherd and pastor are the same word, okay? It's just context. Uh, it tells you how you translate it. So <clears throat> this psalm means a whole lot to me as a pastor. But he says that Yahweh is my shepherd. We could look at the word Yahweh, uh, God. We could talk about God for, from now to eternity and never... Uh, exhausts the knowledge of who God is. But also, 
that he calls himself a shepherd here. And we could talk a lot about the shepherd, and we will a little bit today. And that's also important, that this mighty, almighty God who created everything, who's sovereign in all affairs of the universe, is my shepherd. But that word my becomes very important. And not only in this first verse, but I'm going to ask you to notice as we look through this how intimate the shepherd is with his sheep. In fact, I'll come back at the end and kind of point that out a little bit more. And so the shepherd provides. Now, as a little kid, I could quote this psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I didn't know what that meant because even when I was a little boy, even though that was a long time ago, we didn't talk like that. When, when, when someone said, are you hungry? He said, no, I don't want for anything. That, that would be the same phrase. You might have heard that phrase. So it means I have everything I need to put it in the positive. It's in a negative way. I shall not want. I will not want. I never will have a need because God is my shepherd. And that's, that's what you need to get to that. Everything I might need, the shepherd provides it. He's already given it to me. In John chapter 10, the Bible, Jesus actually talking there, talks about being the shepherd of the sheep. And here's one of the challenges I'm going to give you later. I'm going to go ahead and mention it now. That this week you go through John 10 and write down every provision that the shepherd gives to his sheep. I've done that numerous times just as an exercise for myself. And I always find something new that I never noticed before. There are scores of things in there that the shepherd provides for the sheep and so if God is our shepherd we might want to know what he said he'd provide so we know what to ask him to give us because he provides it so anyway this verse says the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want or I have everything I need if there's a need in your life one of two things is true maybe both but one of two things one is if you feel like God's not giving you what you think you need you really might not need it. Sometimes we get our wants and we elevate them to the level of need. There's actually very little that we actually need, but we want a whole lot. I understand that because I'm the same way. But the other thing that may not be true is you may not realize that the shepherd will provide your need and you're not asking him for what you need. God will give everything you need for your life to live your life the way he wants you to. Notice what it says in the psalm that he gives us. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, this is an important idea, and I live in the southeastern part of the United States. I live in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, uh, here in Stanton. Uh, and, and even though it's spring here on my way in this morning, it was 45 degrees and rainy, so I don't really feel like spring today. But I promise you, spring is trying to break out, and you can see the, the mountains that surround us. They're turning brighter green, going up in elevation. You can see uh, how, how the cold is higher, and so it comes in a little bit later. But everything's turning green. I've been cutting grass for three weeks now. Uh, it's kind of crazy to go out there and have to wear a heavy coat to cut grass, but that's what I was doing yesterday even. And, and, and everything's turning green. And here he says green pastures. And that is our vision of that. But I, I've, I've had the opportunity to visit Israel and I did not see really any pastures that looked like what we got around here. The, the grass is not as thick. It's not as, as full. And so when he talks about green pastures, number one, for the shepherd to find green growth that is good for the sheep to eat is in and of itself an amazing thing because it's very sparse. You have to look carefully to find it. But there's something else about that. Notice he says, he makes me to lie down. Well, 
even though the sheep are not that smart, they know not to lie down if danger's around. They would run, right? So that already is pointing out that there is protection there. But think about it in other terms. There are dangerous things in that field that could hurt the sheep. There might be a venomous snake or a poisonous snake. There might be a hole they could fall into or a hole they could step in and, and injure themselves. There might be a cliff they could fall over. And so the shepherd in the Bible and even today, they will go through that field before they let the sheep in to check for things like that, to fix what they can fix, to keep the sheep away from a dangerous place. And here he says, he lets me lie down in a green pasture. In other words, man, that sheep had enough grass He's ready to take a nap. You ever taken a nap after lunch? You know what I'm talking about, where you get your belly full, and uh, that's enough for now, and I'll lie down and rest. The, the sheep can rest under the watchful eye of the shepherd in a green pasture because the shepherd has already taken care of all those needs. And then it says, he, he leads me beside still waters. I never thought much about this. We think this so poetically, and yet it has real meaning. You have to understand, the sheep you just saw in that film, uh, my, my friend there, uh, my brother, told me that they're going to be sheared in a couple of weeks. So we, we're, we were glad that they hadn't done it yet. We, we got to film those sheep before they got sheared because I'm sure it looked kind of funny to see sheared sheep. But, but uh, it, I, I thought that those sheep, you know, you, you get those cartoon pictures of sheep and they're all fluffy out there. And I thought, man, those sheep don't look like got much wool on them. And I touched that stuff in my fingers went all the way in my hand almost disappears in that wool it's it's pretty thick so you can imagine a sheep coming up to a little brook that's running you would figure okay that's probably a healthy brook it's it's flowing anything bad in it's kind of been washed away but if a sheep drinks out of running water that wool is going to begin to get wet because you can't help but do that without getting kind of in the water if you're a sheep and the water may splash off a rock and the wetter that wool gets can you imagine the weight that would drag the sheep down if that wool got soaked it would just drag him into the water and drown him and so a sheep can't drink out of running water it has to have still water but now let's go back to israel it's pretty hot there and so if you've got a pool of water that is stagnant and sitting still it's going to get some green nasty stuff in it pretty quickly right bacteria is going to grow things that could hurt the sheep is going to grow and so the shepherd has to find still water that is still good for the sheep and here is God's provision. Not only does he have to take care of the dangers and find good pasture, but he finds still water that is healthy for the sheep to be able to drink his fill. And so he gives him good food, he gives him good refreshing. But notice this also. In finding that food and that, that refreshing water, it says he restores my soul. And then he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. In other words, if you're following the shepherd, you'll always go in the right direction. So many times we make bad decisions, we do bad things. Uh, I know that's true in my life. And in those moments, one thing I know for certain, I didn't follow God into that trouble. Because you can't drive sheep. You don't get behind them and drive them. I know there are good sheep dogs that will keep them in a certain area. But you've got a leader will follow the, the leader. They will follow their shepherd. In John 10... Jesus talks about the sheep will not listen to a voice that is not the voice of their shepherd. And this has been illustrated and shown time after time again. In fact, if you at all care, you can look it up on YouTube. There's a YouTube video out there, probably more than one, 
of a shepherd letting anybody that wanted to try to call his sheep. And he even told them what noises to make and, and to make those noises. And the sheep totally ignored everybody, but when the shepherd made the noise, they ran to him. Sheep will follow their shepherd, their leader. And so notice the wording there. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Jesus has already gone on the path of righteousness for us. He became flesh and dwelt among us, and he walked a righteous path. He never sinned. He had no sin of his own for which he, need, owned, for which he needed to die. He walked a righteous path, and if we follow him, he leads us in a path that is righteous. And that path always leads to heaven. So the shepherd provides these good things for his sheep. But now look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, I want you to notice something. I'm not real bright when it comes to, you know, grammar and English. I I, I, I just am not. I I mean, I I like to joke and say I took English as a second language uh, growing up in high school. I just, uh, the rules escape me so much. It's, It's English is one of the hardest languages in the world to learn if you're not a native speaker. And as you know, we have dialects and phrases in every area of our nation. But notice the voice tense of this psalm. First of all, it started in second tense. He, he, he. You would not say he about someone that you might not know. Now, the third voice is you. is like that guy over there, you. You know, you might say, well... God over there is a shepherd. But he says, the Lord, he is my shepherd, which goes to first voice. It's very personal. And in verse 4, he switches from that second voice of he to notice, even though I walk, he goes to first person. You see, not only does the shepherd provide, he protects his own. And there is no limit where you and I might go without the shepherd's protection. In another place in Psalm, David wrote, If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. There's nowhere you can go to get out of God's presence. But as his sheep, of he being our shepherd, we can't get out from under his protection. And there's no limit where we can go. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, there's been much said about the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not even going to talk much about that. I want you to notice one thing about it, though. You go through it. You don't camp out in it. It doesn't say that God hangs out with us while we're just standing around in that valley. Because we're not going to stand around that valley. We're going to go through it. There's a beginning of it. There's an end of it. I don't know what the experience is like. I haven't died yet. I got my best friend has and came back. And he told me he was at perfect peace. Didn't, he didn't care what was going to happen. He was at perfect peace. There is no fear. And we can go anywhere we need to go. But I want you to see why... We don't have to fear. He says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, in the valley or in whatever valley you're in, you have a personal presence. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside the believer. He lives in the church. And we have God's word as objective truth and light on our path. But when we're in that dark place, we have his personal presence with us. We have his personal presence in the dark. I love to illustrate this because as a little boy, I was a scaredy cat. I don't know why, but I was just scared of everything. I was scared of my own shadow. And uh, my family, we didn't have a lot of money. We had less than I thought we did when I was a kid. I thought we were fine, and I found out years later we weren't as fine as I thought, but my parents did a great job. 
And so one of the things, we had an old freezer out in a, a, a tool shed. We had a tool shed garage thing. It was like most people's, it's kind of dilapidated. It wasn't that nice. But they bought this, it, even back then it was an old one, one of these big old chest freezers. It was green, ugly fleck green. It's the kind that you, you had to disable if you were going to throw it away because if a kid got in there and closed the lid, he can't get out. I mean, it was one of those dangerous ones, you know. So my mom would go down to the day-old bread store. Now, I don't even know if where you live they got a day-old bread store. Most, But if there's a bakery anywhere around you, there's a day-old bread store. Stuff they can't sell, it's, it's about out of date, and they put it in there, and you can buy it cheap. Well, I've eaten stuff out of date. I'm just going to tell you the truth. And my mom would go to that day-old bread store, and she would buy a lot of bread, and then she would bring it home, and she'd put it in the freezer. She'd stop that, that aging process right there, cold as ice. And so at night, she'd go to make our lunches for the next day. My dad's lunch, where he worked, and, and, and for us kids to go to school. And all of a sudden, she'd realize she's low in, bre- in, in bread. It'd be wintertime. The lights have already gone out. The sun is set. And she would say, Stuart, would you go out to the freezer and get me a loaf of bread? She wanted me to go out to that shed and get her a loaf of bread. Now, I grew up in Charleston, North Charleston, South Carolina. I want you to understand this because you've got to get this picture. And, and, and it wasn't that far. It, it, it probably, just thinking back on it now, it was probably 30 feet or so behind the house was that shed. But remember, it was all rickety. It, it had the wiring in it that was exposed, you know. I'm sure my dad put the wiring in. And back then, they didn't have good insulation. It was that cottony-looking frayed stuff on it. Probably some bare wires here or there. And, and, but there was a lock on the door as if there were something valuable in there. And, and I'd have to get the key and go out there and unlock that door and it's pitch black dark and open the door and reach in and feel for that light switch. So I was always thinking, I'm going to get shocked to death doing this. That was one, that was the first thought. But remember, I grew up in North Charleston, South Carolina. That's a subtropical zone, friend. And we got bugs down there. Up here, we don't have what we call them cockroaches. But up here, if you, think, if you think you've seen a cockroach, not this kind. This kind's about that big. You can't see my fingers. It's two, three inches long. It can fly like a, a butterfly or moth. I've seen them fly in my room. Scared me to death. I hate those things. They're called palmetto bugs down there. I've had them fall on my head walking under palmetto trees, dating my wife on the battery, carrying ice cream. Something hit me in the head. Ah, one of those big old bugs fell out of the tree onto my head, jumped on me. I don't know what he was doing. And when you turn a light on at night, because you can't get rid of these things, they would just go everywhere because they were in that shed at night. And, man, I hated that. I was, scared. I was scared to go in the dark from the back door to there, even though the porch light was on. I was scared to unlock that thing and go into that dark place. I don't know what's in there. I'm afraid to reach for that light switch. I'm afraid when I fl- turn it on, instead of running from me, they're going to run at me. I mean, I'm just telling you, I would go on to step on, they'll stand up and go, come on, boy, we'll fight. I mean, they're big bugs, I'm telling you. So I'd be scared, and I'd go, Daddy? And he'd say, you want me to go with you, son? Yes, yes, Daddy, I do. So, okay, let's go. He didn't even have to walk all the way out there with me. As long as he stood back there, and I knew that he was watching over me, all of a sudden my fear was gone. I just went, unlocked the door, turned on the light, went in, got the bread, shut the thing, came out, turned out light, locked the door, and came inside. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Wow, what a blessing. What a wonderful idea. But listen, he doesn't go with you if the Lord is not your shepherd. 
The Lord is my shepherd. So we have his presence, but we also have his protection. You may not have ever caught this, but in that same verse 4, it says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I want you to understand that a shepherd would never use a rod on a sheep, but he had it in his possession. What is a rod? It's like a billy club. It's like a a short stick with a big old knob on the end. It looks a little bit like an Irish shillelagh, one of those big knob canes, but it was shorter because they used it as a club. They use it to knock something in the head. If you remember David, he talked about this and who wrote this psalm. He told King Saul when he went to kill Goliath, he said, you're just a kid. What are you going to do about this giant? He said, let me tell you something. I'm a shepherd. I took care of my dad's sheep. And at various times, a bear or a lion would come out and grab one of those sheep. And if you read David's account in 1 Samuel closely, you'll see this. He said, and so I rescued the lamb from the mouth of the lion and the mouth of the bear. And then, if it turned on me, I killed it. David didn't go kill the lion and bear and then get the sheep. He got the sheep out of its mouth while it was still holding it. And then turned around and killed it. And what did he kill it with? He killed it with that club. That rod. He'd knock it between the eyes of that thing, knock him down. I don't know what what all he had to do to it. But as a teenage boy, David would kill lions and bears with a rod. If you hit a sheep, it's going to die. I mean, they cannot take that kind of rough uh, uh, experience. And so the rod, the shepherd holds the rod not for the sheep, but for the enemies of the sheep. He has that rod to fight the enemy that wants to devour you. That in in John 10, Jesus says he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came to give you life, and that life will be an abundant life. And so he gives us protection with that offensive weapon, but he also gives us protection with the staff. It's not an offensive weapon. It is uh, a, a, a weapon for the sheep but it is a guide for the sheep. You, you know what it is. It's the long stick with the hook on the end of it. Now, why does, you ever thought, why does the shepherd's rod have a hook on the end? They probably had to kind of uh, heat up that wood and shape it into that. Well, because remember, it's a mountainous region over there. They could fall off the side of a cliff, not, maybe not dead. They just landed down there, and the shepherd can't get down there to him. He can take that crook and catch them and pull them back up. Or if they're about to go a place they shouldn't go, He could reach out with that longer rod and catch them and kind of pull them back gently. And he could push them into the direction they needed to go in. And so not only is there a weapon for our enemies, but there is a guiding tool in the shepherd's hand that he can give us guidance. Remember, his presence is already with us. This is the shepherd's staff for us, the Word of God. It is the tool that gets us to go in the right way and keeps us from falling off the cliff. And if we do, it tells us the way to get back to God. And so the shepherd... God is protecting his own by giving them protection through a rod and a staff. But then, look at the position. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Have you ever thought about the imagery of that? I mean, I go back, I flash back to David in that valley against that giant. And and he's about to fight a giant as a kid. He's he's a teenage kid. He's probably 13, 14 years old, we, we think. And there's this giant of a man, he's almost 10 feet tall, and he's coming against David, a little kid, to fight him. And David says, God sets a banquet table before me in the presence of my enemies. They're coming out to kill me, and I'm just sitting down there just enjoying a meal. Doesn't sweat, I don't sweat it at all, don't have to worry about it. Not worry. God prepares 
provision for us even in the face of our enemies. That is an amazing promise that you need to grab hold of the meaning and incorporate into your life. In the presence of your enemy, God sets a table. And you can feast at God's table even in a difficult place. But notice how that verse 5 ends. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Not only do I have a great position, I have a great provision. That the shepherd anoints my head with oil, that he, my cup can overflow, that he gives me this blessing. Why oil? Well, that, that shepherd that you saw in the film, he let us know. I didn't realize sheep have long tails because I've never seen a sheep with a long tail. And he said, we dock them. And he said that word. I said, wait a minute. Sheep, don't, sheep have tails? He goes, yeah. I said, how long would it be if, if you didn't dock it? He said, oh, about that long. I said, you're kidding me. I didn't know you docked a sheep's tail like you would some dog breeds people dock their tails. He said, if you don't, he said, it just collects garbage and trash and burrs and flies infestated and lay their eggs in that sheep's tail because they can't get around to it. And it just is horrible. And so they had to dock the tail. So you can imagine these sheep out in the wilderness, parasites and bugs get on them. How would he soothe the skin of the sheep with oil? Oil is a healing thing in the Bible especially. And he, would, he anoints my head with oil. keeps the bugs away. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about because you use skin so soft if you get out. Again, I'm from a place where there's a lot of gnats. I mean, they, some people call them no see because you can't see them, but they hurt when they bite. And that skin so soft will keep those gnats away. And so down there, people take that skin so soft and rub it all over them in the summer just to keep the gnats off of you. Well, the sheep have their heads anointed with that oil, healing and protective oil. And my cup overflows. I got more than I need, in other words. And so, not only does God provide for his sheep, not only does he protect his sheep, God promises his sheep. Look at the last verse here. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. There's some good companions on the roadway to life, isn't it? Goodness and mercy. I need mercy. You know what mercy is. It's not getting what you do deserve. Some people think they deserve heaven for their good works. The Bible uh, lays the truth on that lie. You don't deserve heaven for your good works. You deserve hell because you were born a sinner. And all your works are evil in his sight. Even your good works, Isaiah says, look like a filthy rag in his sight. There's no good that you can do that pleases God. You need help. You need a Savior. And Jesus came, and his righteousness was good enough because he never sinned. He was born without a sin nature because God was his father and not Adam. And, and so he is the only one that didn't deserve hell, but then he took hell for us that we could have heaven. And here, this companion of mercy, I don't get what I deserve because all I deserved was hell. I get heaven. What a great companion. I get mercy. I get God's goodness. The Bible says he imputes his righteousness to me. He gives me his goodness. He gives me his perfection. And he does not look at my sin. He pushes that away. He blots it out, the Bible says. He separates me from my sin as far as the east is from the west. And God gives me the companion of mercy. And he also gives me a great destination. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. Do you know there are people who are going to heaven that might be bored when they get there? Because they don't like to go to the house of the Lord now. You see, that's where David longed to dwell. In another psalm, uh, David said this, Psalm 27, 4. He said, only one thing have I asked, one thing I desired of you, that I should dwell in the house of my Lord forever and always gaze upon his beauty. That's all David cared about. In another psalm, David said, Whom do I have in heaven but you, and on earth there's nothing I desire besides you. David's consuming passion was to be in the presence of God. And here, as I said, this applies to Jesus as he's in that tomb awaiting his resurrection. And he says, God's going to give me the mercy and I'm going to dwell in his house forever. And he's given that to us as co-heirs with Jesus. We get the promise that we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a good house to live in. As I said earlier in Hebrews 13, 20, the Bible calls Jesus the good shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd or the pastor of all churches that are preaching the word of God that believe in Christ. He is their shepherd, and he provides all of these things for the body of Christ that is left here on earth. We can take it personally, but we can also take it as a whole church. And God makes promises to his own that his mercy and goodness will always be with us, and we'll always be able to dwell in his house. As I said, a Christian doesn't die. We just change addresses. We move out of this body and we go to heaven to be with him. And we are always in his presence. Then with eyes that we can see, now we have eyes of faith that he is with us. Well, what can you do this coming week? Here's a couple of things. One thing I would encourage you to do is every day write down at least one thing, but up to three things for which you are thankful. Get you a new, brand new notebook. And every day just write down every night. What are you thankful for? And try not to repeat yourself and, and go beyond uh, just, well, I mean, anything you're thankful for. I'm not going to tell you that. Anything you're thankful for, write it down every day. I mean, today I'm thankful I woke up breathing, okay? Breathing nurse air. I'm just thankful he gave me a day in which I can glorify him. I'm going to be even happier and more thankful when I'm breathing heaven's air. But today I'm happy to be here to give God glory. I'm thankful for food that I'm going to go home and eat. It's going to be great. We got a big meal. Man, I... Listen, you've heard of the freshman 10. I got the quarantine 15, okay? I'm telling you, but the diet starts after that chocolate cake that got made last night. At, after that today, maybe I'll diet. I don't know. You know, diet is just die with a T. So. But, but I'm thankful for cake. I'm thankful for the roast I'm going to get to eat afterward. Just write down what you're thankful for. Man, get that attitude of thankfulness. And the second thing I'd ask you to do, I told you at the beginning to do this, I want to remind you. Look at John 10 and just begin to read it with the eyes of what does the shepherd give to his sheep? What does he provide for his sheep? What does he make available to us? And write those down. And that's just a, that's kind of a one-time thing, or you can break it up into verses, whatever you want to do. But go through John 10 as far as you want to, writing down what does the shepherd give to his sheep? Because it's a lot. Psalm 23, it's a comforting psalm. But it's also a convicting psalm because of those first five words. If the Lord is not your shepherd, everything I just said is not available to you. But think about the privilege, Christian. If you already know Christ, if you have repented of your sin and fallen before him and said, I deserve hell, and I'm asking for your mercy and your grace, mercy not to give me hell, and grace to give me heaven. If you're in that position, you ought to rejoice at the provisions of the shepherd to his sheep. And Psalm 23 becomes a great blessing to us. If you don't know Christ, 
I'm in telling you today, now is the time, today is the day. You need to bow your knee and say to Jesus, you are God and I want you to be my shepherd. And I promise if you ask Jesus to save you and to make you his own, he'll do it. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep.